And happy Sabbath, everyone. It's such a privilege for me to not just, it's, I have a triple blessing today <laughs> uh, because uh, I, I just uh, was at one church service at my first church and in the second church service at my second church. And now here I'm here with Adam Hope for the third. And so uh, what, a, what a blessing it is. And I'm just happy to be here. And I'm really glad that we were able to uh, spend this time together. I uh, just want to uh, share my screen here. Just a moment. Let me see. And there we go. So uh, today, uh, the topic is appropriating the righteousness of Christ. Um, how can we appropriate the righteousness of Christ in our lives? And so I, I'm praying that this will be uh, very practical. Um, I know the whole topic of righteousness by faith has been covered many times by many speakers. Uh, some probably can explain it better than I can. Uh, but uh, I decided to approach it from a different uh, perspective, uh, I, as opposed to just describing it and theologically explaining it. Um, I, I'd like to just, by God's grace and by God's help, uh, present this from a practical standpoint. And so I, I hope that it can be helpful for you. Uh, so without further ado, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to guide our time together. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the Sabbath. We thank you that we are reminded every week who our Creator is and how we're dependent upon Him for, for our life and for our well-being, but also for our spiritual life. For the Bible tells us that the Sabbath is a sign that you are the one that can sanctify us. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll please fill us with your Spirit, open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, especially use me as a vessel to speak uh, your words and put your words in my mouth. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll please, by God's grace, allow me to bestow a blessing through the, through the study of your word. And we thank you for hearing this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well... You know, we are living in interesting times, and we talked about that last week, uh, I mean, not last week, last night, uh, but I just want to share with you a little testimony before we get into today's message today. Uh, before this whole coronavirus uh, pandemic uh, came about, uh, the Michigan Conference, we had a series of evangelistic meetings called Jesus on Prophecy. It was actually uh, led out by our uh, minister, assistant ministerial director, Wes Peppers, and he spearheaded that uh, Jesus on Prophecy series, which we did last fall. And it, it seems like um, so recent, but you know, yet it's, it's, it's been a year now. Uh, but we had a series here at the Ann Arbor Church where we uh, had guests that came in. And they, they were interested and intrigued with the, with the message that we had to bring through those series. And, and many people came and guests came. Some of them continued coming, others dropped off. Uh, but there's one particular couple uh, that came to the meetings and they were sitting in the front uh, of the, nearest to the stage where we, we had the setup with the projector and everything like that. And they would come uh, regularly to these meetings. and. Uh, you know, they would miss like one or two nights, but, you know, for the most part, they were there. And it was really exciting to actually uh, see that they were responding positively to the messages. And uh, they were taking it all in. And, you know, after that, I was doing follow-up with all these contacts. And, you know, over time, uh, people kind of, come, some people stayed with the, the follow-up Bible studies. Others uh, just kind of dropped off. And, and the, this couple just kind of, um, you know, faded away, so to speak. You know, we didn't get in contact with them uh, for some time, a few months after that. And what happened is interesting. When this COVID-19 uh, hit and all these things were taking place uh, with the quarantine, stay-at-home order, and, and all these other things that were taking place early on in about February to March, uh, this couple uh, called me up. 
and uh, they actually asked me to um, stop by. They really wanted to see me, uh, so much so that they wanted me to come to their house. So I came to their house, uh, of course, with masks and and making sure that you know we were social distanced and and uh, you know observing all those uh, safety protocols. And I met with them, and they actually wanted to sit down with me, and they were asking me about the things that were going on, things that were happening around us in the world. And uh, you know, I just told them that you know this is these are signs, no doubt, of the fact that you know Jesus is coming soon. We we know that the last events are going to take place very soon, based on what prophecy tells us. And so they were they were on the edge of their seats. This is much different than when they were at the meetings, because now it's relevant to them. Now they knew that there was something going on, there's something happening, and that it all had to do in line with prophecy. And the lady that uh, of this couple, the, the couple, uh, the lady was asking me, you know, um, you know, what do you think about all these things? She's asking me all these questions, and you know, she was very open to what I had to say because she says that she's she's been to other churches since the meetings and. She says, all the other preachers are not preaching revelation, but you're the only one that teaches revelation. And uh, we, we want to know more about revelation. And so, uh, you know, she, she says, I, I thought about you, you know, during the meetings that you had. And so um, can you tell us what's going on and, you know, what, what we can expect? It was amazing how hungry they were to understand and to make sense of things going around and uh, around them. And so I, I just, and I don't recommend this, but uh, this is because we, we did go through a series of studies with them, but I went over Revelation 13 with them, uh, verse by verse. <laughs> and uh, don't do that when you do a Bible study with somebody for the first time. But uh, like I said, I had some background with them. I did go through a whole series of studies with these people in our ser- evangelistic series. So they, they, knew, um, they knew quite a bit. Uh, but, you know, we revisited Revelation chapter 13, and she was very, him and her, she and her husband were very, very enthralled. They were, they were eating things up, and they were, like, realizing that we were living in the time that Revelation was speaking of. And they were, they were very convicted, and they, they wanted to, you know, they yearned to um, get their life straight. They yearned to learn more. And so I've been meeting with them for the past couple of weeks now. We've covered the three angels' messages. Well, we haven't completed it yet. We, we've completed the first angel's message, um, and we're going to go over the second angel's message. But we're just taking our time, going through these uh, verse by verse, breaking it down for them, and they're taking notes. And they're just they're better students than my church members. And, and they're just seeing this, the relevance and the significance of this all. And, you know, brothers and sisters, that tells me something that the three angels' messages are to be preached at this time, even especially during this time, before we're unable to do so. You know, there's a lot of restrictions now that, that restricts us to do evangelism in the way that we did it before. But, um, you know, I'm, I, I believe that the Lord has ways that we can be creative in the way that we can, you know, get the message out there. Um, in, in fact, we just did a, a Zoom meeting, uh, a Zoom series during the, the midst of the pandemic. Uh, during April, uh, we just did a week-long series um, of, of meetings uh, through Zoom. We just advertised it on Facebook, and, and we told people about it. And people that I didn't know were actually showing interest. They were registering for the, uh, for the series, and, and they tuned into Zoom for one week. And we went over the... the um, unique beliefs of the Adventist church, like the state of the dead and second coming and Sabbath and all these things. And people were actually really in tune because this was a time where, of course, everybody was just, you know, staying at home, they're quarantined and um, people were just transfixed and they were tuning in. It's amazing. It's just like 9-11. When 9-11 happened, you know, the churches were full. And, you know, what's happening right now uh, gives us an opportunity like none other, uh, an opportunity where people are open. Here are these people that I just, just dropped off my radar, uh, but then they came back and we're going through these studies and I go over the first angel's message with them and they're t- taking all these notes and, and they're feeling convicted and they're, they're, they're saying that we need to give our lives over to God. We need to get ready to you know, leave the cities and things like that. And it's amazing how the Lord is working. And I, I praise God for that. 
and brothers and sisters, we need to be involved in giving the three angels messages. We need to share our unique prophetic message. And also we know that as we're doing this work, uh, we know that prophecy tells us in Revelation chapter 18 that there's going to be a loud cry that's going to take place when the latter rains poured out. And when the latter rains poured out, that loud cry is going to give strength to the third angel's message. And the third angel's message is, is of course, that the focus of the third angel's message is also not just the mark of the beasts um, and what will happen to those who receive it, but it's also referring to the righteousness of Christ, Christ and his righteousness. And so today, um, I want to encourage you to prayerfully find ways that you can share the message with others. Uh, share the message with people because people, believe it or not, non-Adventists are looking for answers based on what's going on in our world today. And we have the answers. We have the light of truth and we have to bring it to them. And may the Lord compel each and every one of us and give us the unction of the Holy Spirit to share the message to a lost and dying world. And uh, there's a quote here where uh, in Review and Herald, April 1, 1890, where it says, several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. And so third angel's message, of course, focuses on the righteousness of Christ. And so um, I want to focus on that today as we're talking um, in our presentation. And, and I want to cover this because this is a message from God. This is a message of present truth, justification by faith, or also known as righteousness by faith. And uh, Ellen White says that this message bears the divine credentials because when people take heed to this message, the fruit of this message leads to holiness. And it's amazing. When I went over the first angel's message with that lady, um, she was actually saying, you know, there's things that I need to change in my life. Because the first angel's message was talking about reform, like health reform, lifestyle reform, and all these other things. But I presented it in a way that it drew out Jesus. You know, how Jesus wants what's better for us. And he wants what's best for us. And what would hinder us, what would, would impede our relationship with him and, and stunt our, our, our walk with him. And, and she was like, you know, raising her hands and saying, you know, there's things I need to like give up. There's things I need to give up and uh, I need to give it up to the Lord and, and the Holy Spirit's at work. And so I want to ask that you please pray for that couple, uh, pray for them uh, and, and ask that the Holy Spirit will continue to work on their lives and, and uh, lead them to further truth. But we see that the, the message of justification by faith is a, a precious truth that many people, unfortunately, do not receive the benefit of it. Um, they do not open the door of their heart to welcome Jesus as the heavenly guest. And as a result of it, they suffer great loss. And um, you know, we're not safe to neglect the searching of scriptures for daily light and knowledge. And Psalms 119, 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. So the word of God should not be kept apart from our life. It should be entertained in the mind and welcomed in our hearts. And it should be cherished, loved, and regarded and obeyed. And we also have much more knowledge and we need to be... Um, Oh, I'm sorry, we also need more knowledge and we need to be enlightened in regard to the plan of salvation. And this is what uh, Sister White says in volume one of Selected Messages, page 359. Uh, listen to this. It says, there is not one in 100 who understands for himself the Bible truth on this subject that is so necessary to our present and eternal welfare. And so she's, get what she says. She says, there's not one in 100 who understands for himself the Bible truth on this subject that is so necessary to our present and eternal welfare. Did you catch that? So, you know, we see that there's a desperate need for us to understand this, this message of justification by faith, the third angel's message. 
Um, she says, if we come to the word of God with a teachable, humble spirit, the rubbish of error will be swept away and gems of truth long hidden from our eyes will be discovered. And I want that experience. I want those gems of truth that were hidden from our eyes to be discovered as we come to the word of God with a humble, teachable spirit and asking the Lord to reveal those truths to us. And we need to spend more time in the word. We need to spend more time searching for the truth regarding this topic. Um, Review and Herald, uh, September 3, 1888 says, there's a great need that Christ should be preached as the only hope and salvation. The thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, not because of any merit on our part, but as a free gift from God, it is indeed a precious thought. Christ imputes his righteousness to us, not because we deserve it, not because we've done anything to merit it, but is a free gift of God. And we need to understand that and we need to uh, accept that gift. And I want to uh, go into uh, what prevents us from availing ourselves of the righteousness of Christ. And so uh, this is important for us to identify. It's important for us to know what's impeding us from actually availing ourselves from the righteousness of Christ, which is freely offered to us. Uh, there's nothing that we do to merit it or earn it, but yet there's something that's preventing us from availing the righteousness of Christ. And we, didn't, we need to know what these uh, impediments are. And so we see the first impediment that prevents us from availing ourselves from the righteousness of Christ is distrust. You know, we, there's many people who walk by sight and not by faith. You know, I, I hear people whenever I preach about like how we should like uh, strive for perfection. You know, we, God calls us to be holy as he is holy. You know, God calls us to live, to be, uh, to be perfect through him, of course. Um, but, you know, when we talk about victory over sin and there's people who say, you know, well, I don't see anyone who's righteous or perfect in our day. And, and people who say that um, they're walking not by faith, but they're walking by sight. I don't see anyone like that. I don't see anyone who's perfect. I don't see anyone that's righteous. Um, but we need to walk by faith, not by sight. If God says that he can make it possible, if God says that he can make a new thing out of you, he can make it possible. He can make it happen. And we need to trust the word of God for what it says and take it as he says it. Do not walk by sight, walk by faith and trust the word of God and trust what he says he will do for he will certainly do it. The second impediment that many people uh, struggle with that prevents them from the righteousness of Christ is that there's hindrances that are not removed. The hindrances that we often see that impede uh, our access to Christ's righteousness is nurturing wrong feelings, uh, pride, self-sufficiency, impatience, murmurings, selfish motives. These things are a few of many things that separate us from God. And we need to put these things aside. We need to confess these sins and we need to put them aside for these are things that will prevent us from receiving the righteousness of Christ. And God can do that for us. And the next we cherish the idea that we can do something to make ourselves worthy of his blessings. Sometimes we fall into that trap, don't we? We kind of think that we, we can do something, we can kind of contribute something. Uh, yes, God does the work, but we can actually do something to add to that perhaps. And you know, we have, when we do that, when we still have that, uh, uh, that leaning, that bent to do that, thinking that we can contribute something, we have not looked away from ourselves, believing that Jesus is a living savior. And so uh, we need to understand that we are utterly dependent upon Christ. There's nothing that we can do without him. And the next is that we think our own grace and merits will save us when the grace of Christ and his merits are our only hope of salvation, salvation. You know, many people actually try to 
you know, they, they don't do it blatantly, perhaps, maybe it's subtle, but they, they try to think that there's a way to earn your way to salvation. If I, if I could do some good works, if I can kind of do something good to merit God's favor or, or to, to, you know, find good graces in God's sight, you know, it's something I can do. Like I could just volunteer and, and help out at the soup kitchen or I can, I can do some good works, you know, and somehow that will outweigh the bad works that I've done. You know, those, those, that kind of thinking needs to be put away because there's no way that our own grace and merits will merit us salvation. It's only through the merits and the grace of Christ. And we need to constantly remind ourselves of this. It is only Christ and him alone that we can receive uh, the hope of salvation and his righteousness. Um, also, we also have that tendency to look to self as though we had the power to save ourselves. You know, society actually reinforces this idea how we have to be self-made people. We've got to do things ourselves. We've got to learn to be self-sufficient. And we, we, tr- we carry that unknowingly. We can, we can carry that into our, into our spiritual uh, experience, uh, thinking that we have a power to do something, to take charge of things, and to do something ourselves. Um, but we cannot do anything in, uh, in ourselves. It's, it's only based on Christ. And lastly, um, we exercise unbelief. You know, there's, there's a lot of statements that people say, and you've probably heard them, where this is so, where they are truly exercising unbelief. Some is overtly uh, showing unbelief. Others are just more like subtle ways of showing unbelief. Uh, you may hear people say things like, I don't believe it's possible to be righteous, but I believe in Jesus but I don't believe it's possible to be righteous. They're exercising unbelief. When people say, I'm not a sinner, you know, I don't need Christ, I'm not all that bad. When they say things like that, they're exercising unbelief. If, say, if they say, I do not need Jesus to save me, I can save myself, that's unbelief as well. When they, whenever somebody doubts or questions what God has promised, they are exercising unbelief and that promise cannot be assured to them because of that doubt or question that they have against the promise of God. Um, and when people say, let's not be extreme or legalistic, you know, there's room for gray area. You know, they're ex- exercising unbelief. You know, we also exercise unbelief when we just are content with just mere head knowledge in regards to this topic or any other topic or anything f- from the truth of God's word but we don't have the experience. We have yet to have that experience in our own life. Uh, We have not gone beyond what it means to believe. We have not experienced it yet. When when we're we're just at a standstill. And so too often the, the trap that we fall into is we rely upon our own merits and we rely upon our own self sufficiency. And the doctrine of justification by faith has been lost sight of by many who profess to believe a third angel's message. You know, some people will say, you know, only believe in Christ and you'll be saved. Everything will be fine. Just believe in Jesus. But they say, oh, but we don't have to keep the law of God. You know, the law of God, that's legalistic. We don't have to obey God. Jesus fulfilled the law. You know, this teaching, this idea is not in line with God's word. There's not, no, no foundation for such faith. This is not the precious gem of truth that God has given for his people at this time. This teaching, when people say that Christ saves us, so there's no, uh, we don't have to obey him uh, away with the law, this teaching misleads honest souls. And the light of God's word reveals the fact that the law must be proclaimed, Christ must be lifted up because he is a savior who forgives transgression and iniquity and sin, but he will by no means clear the guilty and unrepentant soul. You know, When we're talking about the righteousness of Christ, it is through the law that gives us a standard of righteousness. So there's no way you could say that we have to disregard the law because we see that the law is a standard of righteousness. And, you know, whether you're liberal or you take a legalistic view, right, you're going to end up on either side of the ditch, right? You could end on one side of the ditch or the other side of the ditch when you are grasping on a a liberal view or a legalistic view. And Satan wants you on either side. He doesn't care 
What's, what ditch you fall into as long as you're in that ditch. But Satan is most afraid, he's most angry with those that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, which says that here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Right? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb uh, and, the, and the word of their testimony. And Revelation chapter 14, verse 12 says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so the devil hates those who keep God's law. And how are they able to keep it? Through the righteousness of Christ. It is to Christ's righteousness being activated in their lives, as being, as being active in their lives, as being evident in their lives as a result of Christ in them. And so why is it important to know this subject? Uh, it's very important. In fact, here's what it says in the Review and Herald, November 22nd, 1892. It says, if you would stand through the time of trouble, is the time of trouble going to come? Are we, are we uh, going to face the time of trouble? Yes. It says, if you would stand through the time of trouble, you must know Christ and appropriate the gift of his righteousness, which he imputes to the repentant sinner. So did you catch what she said? She said, if you want to stand to the time of trouble, if you want to be able to stand during that time, you must do what? You must, number one, know Christ. And number two, appropriate the gift of his righteousness that he imputes to the repentant sinner. So we must know Christ and we must know how to appropriate his righteousness. And so that's very important. I don't know about you, but that, that is very important for us especially when we're, we're about to face the time of trouble and we know that the time of trouble is yet to come and we need to really grasp and understand the subject. We must really know Christ, not just in a superficial way, but in a, an experiential way, in a way that he has you know, changed us and he has transformed us. But also, furthermore, we need to learn how to appropriate his gift of righteousness, how we can, can harness that gift and, and, and see it evidently working in our lives. And so is that important? Do you want to know how to appropriate his gift of righteousness? Well, that's what we're going to focus on today. And so that's what, where I hope that this will be very practical to all of us. But first of all, before we um, go into how to appropriate the righteousness of Christ, let's cover this question. How do we know that we have the righteousness of Christ? Isn't that also important to know? How do we know if we have it? Now, what, 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 is a, what is an indicator to know that we have the righteousness of Christ? And, uh, you know, just ponder these quotes uh, from the spirit of prophecy. How do we know that we have the righteousness of Christ? First of all, it says, when we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, we shall have no relish for sin. No relish for sin. For Christ will be working with us. We may make mistakes, but we will hate the sin that caused the sufferings of the Son of God. So when we truly have the righteousness of Christ, we will have no relish for sin. We will, in fact, hate sin. We will see sin for how ugly it is because sin has put our Savior, Jesus, on the cross. And we don't want to hurt Jesus in any way. Is that your motivation? Is that how sensitive you are to how you hate sin and how you don't, you don't relish it, but you abhor it? If you do, you have the righteousness of, righteousness of Christ. Next, how do we know we, we have the righteousness of Christ? Those who are justified by faith, it's also righteousness by faith, must have a heart to keep the way of the Lord. It is an evidence that a man is not justified by faith when his works do not correspond with his profession. And of course, she quotes James 2.22, where it says, Seeth thou how faith wrought within his works, and by works was his faith made perfect, speaking of Abraham. Right? So in other words, it's not just about a mere profession, but that profession should correspond to the fact that you have these works that are evident in your life. And the works, of course, is not your own good works that you muster with your own willpower or own strength, but this is 
the, the power that comes from within when Christ is within your heart, when Christ dwells in you and you allow his righteousness, you have, you have accessed his righteousness, you have learned to appropriate his righteousness, and as a result, the works are a fruit manifested in the life of the believer. Those who have received his righteousness will have the works corresponding to their profession. How else do we know that we have the righteousness of Christ? It says, but while God can be just and yet, ju yet justify the sinner through the merits of Christ, no man can cover his soul with the garments of Christ's righteousness while practicing known sins or neglecting known duties. So if you're still practicing some known sins that you're aware of or you're, you're neglecting what God requires you to do, you do not have the righteousness of Christ. God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place. In order for man to retain justification, there must be continual obedience through active living faith that works by love and purifies the soul. And so the righteousness of Christ compels us and enables us to to uh, participate in continual obedience uh, through the faith that we exercise um, in, in him. Uh, next, lastly, it says, in order for man to be justified by faith, faith must reach a point where it will control the affections and the impulses of the heart. Now, that's how the righteousness of Christ is such a, a help to us. Does the, have you experienced where the righteousness of Christ, where Christ works in you, that it'll control your affections, it'll control your impulses of the heart, and it is by obedience that faith itself is made perfect. So these are the ways that we know whether or not we have the righteousness of Christ. And so I hope that you take those things to heart, and those indicators help us to know where we stand with God and, and where we have to go from there. Now, uh, we're going to cover how we can appropriate the righteousness of Christ. How can we harness it? How can we possess it? How can we experience its active work in our life? Um, you see, um, the first, first of all, before I read this, uh, Christ, through Christ, she says, Restoration as well as reconciliation is provided for man. The gulf that was made by sin has been spanned by the cross of Calvary. A full, complete ransom has been paid by Jesus. Praise the Lord. By virtue of which the sinner is pardoned and the justice of the law is maintained. And so how can we appropriate the righteousness of Christ with Christ providing that for us? Well, number one, you see it on the screen there. It says believe. You see all who believe that Christ is the atoning sacrifice may come and receive pardon for their sins. For through the merit of Christ, communication has been opened between God and man. God can accept me as his child, and I can claim him and rejoice in him as my loving father. We must center our hopes of heaven upon Christ alone, because he is our substitute and surety. So we need to believe that Christ is our all in all. It's only in him that we know that we can receive all the spiritual blessings of pardon, uh, the merit of his righteousness, um, the fact that he will accept me, um, and that um, we can rejoice in our loving father claiming us as his own. And this is only possible through Christ and Christ alone. We need to believe this. We need to exercise that belief and constantly um, reinforce that belief because the devil will try to cause you to believe otherwise. And the devil will cause you to uh, waver in your faith and your belief in, in what Christ has done for you. Um, secondly, we need to claim Christ's righteousness by faith. You know, we, we have transgressed the law of God and by the deeds of the law, no, no flesh shall be justified. The best efforts that man in his own strength can make are value, value, sorry, valueless to meet the holy and just law that he has transgressed. 
but through faith in Christ, he may claim the righteousness of the Son of God as all-sufficient. Christ satisfied the demands of the law in his human nature. He bore the curse of the law for the sinner. He made an atonement for him that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Brothers and sisters, have you claimed that by faith? Have you claimed Christ's righteousness by faith? When was the last time you did that? When was the last time that you stopped looking to yourself and saying, Lord, it is only by Christ and his righteousness. I know I don't feel that I deserve it. I know that I messed up and I know that that, that that's held, I hold that against myself too. But I, despite all this and despite all that is counted against me, I by faith claim Christ's righteousness on my behalf. And therefore God accepts me as his son or daughter. And that's what we need to do. Third, we need to rely on the merits of Christ alone. You know, those who try to reach heaven by their own works in keeping the law, it's going to be impossible. Man cannot be saved without obedience, but his work should not be of himself. Christ should work in him to will and to do of his good pleasure. And Christ is going to do that work in us. And, he, and we need to rely upon his merits and his merits alone in keeping the law, in, in order to obey, in order to do the works that are required. It's Christ that works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know, a good example of those who rely upon their own merits is none other than Cain. If you remember Cain, uh, he thought that he could merit the favor of God by presenting what? by presenting the fruit of his field, right? The works of his hands, uh, the things that he uh, toiled for, the things that, that he worked so hard to make. And so he presents that as, uh, as something that would give merit to himself. But you know, if, if that's a perfect picture of salvation by works. You know, if somebody can actually do something that can merit salvation through their works, that's something that they can boast about. But the effort that we make to obtain salvation um, is, is polluted and selfish. It's tainted with selfishness and sin without Christ. But that which is wrought through faith is, is acceptable to God. When we gain heaven through the merits of Christ, the soul will make progress. When we look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we may go from strength to strength, from victory to victory. Through Christ, the grace of God has worked out our complete salvation. And, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So living faith enables its possessor to lay hold upon the merits of Christ. That's the only way that we can lay hold upon his merits, through faith. And that enables us to derive great comfort and satisfaction in the plan of redemption, in the plan of salvation. And the third thing that we need to do to appropriate the righteousness of Christ is repent. Jesus came uh, into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And repentance is associated with faith and is urged in the gospel as essential for salvation. There's no salvation without repentance. And repentance is described by Paul as a godly sorrow for sin. A godly sorrow is different from the kind of sorrow that we are sorry about the results and the consequences of what our sin brings. That's a different kind of repentance. Uh, Judas had that kind of repentance when he betrayed Jesus he was sorry for what the consequences were because of what he did. But he was not sorry. He did not have that God, godly sorrow that is required for repentance to take place. Peter, on the other hand, had that godly repentance. And the repentance that we need to have is what 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 tells us. is a re repentance that worketh to salvation. So... This repentance um, prepares the heart for accepting Christ as the only Savior and as the only hope for the sinner. 
And so this is the first step. It's an essential step. It's a necessary step. And without repentance, there is no salvation. And sometimes, I could be honest with you, we don't feel like repenting, do we? Sometimes we try to repent, but we, we don't even have that even desire to repent. So what do you do then? What you need to do is you need to ask the Lord to give you that spirit of repentance. The Lord will give you that same spirit of repentance just as sure as he will give us salvation when we ask for it. And so we need to ask, Lord, you know, I don't feel sorry. I don't feel repentant. I don't feel this godly sorrow. I still love that sin, uh, Lord, but please give me that, that spirit of repentance. Give me that spirit that yearns for what's right. And the Lord will give it as you ask. And so repentance is also key in receiving the righteousness of Christ. And lastly, claim the promise. It says, as the sinner looks to the law, his guilt is made plain to him and pressed home to his conscience, and he is condemned. His only comfort and hope is found in looking to the cross of Calvary. As he ventures upon the promises, taking God at his word, relief and peace come to his soul. And he cries, Lord, thou hast promised to save all who come to thee in the name of thy son. I am a lost, helpless hopeless soul. Lord, save me or I perish. What a prayer. That's the kind of prayer that we need to pray. It's a prayer of desperation. It's a prayer for clinging to God as our only hope. And it says here, his faith lays hold on Christ and he is justified before God. What a beautiful prayer. And I pray that that will be the prayer of our hearts so that we can experience and appropriate the righteousness of Christ. You know, brothers and sisters, without the grace of Christ, the sinner is in a hopeless condition. Nothing can be done for him, but through divine grace and supernatural power, it'll be imparted to the man and woman that believes in him, and it works in their mind and their character. And it's through the impartation of the grace of Christ that that sin is discerned in its hateful nature and finally driven from the soul temple. The quote here um, from Selective Messages, page 366, it says, Faith is the condition upon which God has seen fit to promise pardon to sinners. Not that there is any virtue in faith whereby salvation is merited, but because faith can lay hold of the merits of Christ, the remedy provided for sin. Faith can present Christ's perfect obedience instead of the sinner's transgression and defection. When the sinner believes that Christ is his personal savior, then according to his unfailing promises, God pardons his sin and justifies him freely. The repentant soul realizes that his justification comes because Christ, as his substitute and surety, has died for him, is his atonement and righteousness. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Do you cling to that by faith? Because faith is a condition by which we receive the promise. And faith is the means by which we can lay hold of Christ and his righteousness. You know, Abraham is a perfect example of this. You know, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And so we see righteousness is obedience to the law. The law demands righteousness and the sinner owes to the law, but he's incapable. We are incapable of rendering it. The only way that we can attain to righteousness is through faith. By faith, he can bring the bring to God. By faith, we can bring to God the merits of Christ. And the Lord places the obedience of his son on the sinner's account. And Christ's righteousness is accepted in, in place of my failure. And God receives and pardons and justifies me, the believing soul, and treats me as though I were righteous. He loves me as he would love his own son. And this is how faith is accounted as righteousness. And the pardoned soul goes on from grace to grace, from light to greater light. And he could say with the rejoicing, not by works of righteousness, which I've done, but according to his mercy. He has saved me. He has saved us by the washing of regeneration 
and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he sheds on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we shall be made heirs according to the promise and the hope of eternal life. The Bible tells us in John 1, 12 and 13, but as many as received them to them, gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so we see that Christ, when we receive him into our life, when we believe in him, he gives us the power to become sons and daughters of God. But unfortunately, many people today fail to experience this. Many people are losing the right way. And in consequence of thinking that they must climb to heaven, that they must do something to merit the favor of God, they seek to make themselves better by their own unaided efforts they can never accomplish. They are in a dead end. There's nowhere else to go. But Christ has made the way. And he, as our dying sacrifice, and as our living example, and as our great high priest says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. And so we see when Christ says, don't go your own way. Don't try to go about it your own way. Don't try to do it alone. But I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And that reminds me of the text in Isaiah 55, verse 7, where it says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We must believe that naked promise, and not accept feeling for faith. We must trust God fully, and when we rely upon the merits of Christ, as a sin-pardoning Savior, we shall receive all the help that we can desire. What do you say to that? I say, praise God. You know, Sister White says that the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. And we need to experience that. We need to prayerfully, fervently ask the Lord that we can make this our experience. And I pray that the stuff that we went over today in our presentation will, will help you to know how you can get your mind focused and your heart focused upon Christ and his righteousness and how you can appropriate that for yourself. Um, I'm going to close with this final quotation here. And she says, there is need of constant watchfulness. And, and of earnest, loving devotion. Do you want constant watchfulness in your Christian experience? Do you want that earnest, loving devotion to God? She says, but these will come naturally when the soul is kept by the power of God through faith. So when we are kept by the power of God through our faith, and that faith is that connection that we have, the, the faith is by which we, we lay hold of the, of, the, of the power of God, the constant watchfulness that is necessary, the loving devotion that's necessary will come naturally, she says. We can do nothing, absolutely nothing, to commend ourselves to divine favor. We must not trust at all to ourselves nor to our good works. But when as erring sinful beings we come to Christ, we may find rest in his love. God will accept everyone that comes to him, trusting wholly in the merits of a crucified Savior. And when we do this, she says, love springs up in the heart. Love for Christ springs up in the heart. There can be no ecstasy of feeling, but there is an abiding, peaceful trust. Every burden is light, for the yoke which Christ imposes is easy. Duty becomes a delight and sacrifice a pleasure. The path that before seemed shrouded in darkness becomes bright with beams from the sun of righteousness. This is walking in the light as Christ is in the light. Wow. I want that to be our experience. 
how many of you today want this experience by responding to Christ's invitation to come to him? Maybe there's some of you there tuning in right now who have, whether overtly or subtly, unbeknownst to you, you're, you're trying to do things your own way or trying to make it on your own in your walk with Christ, in your Christian experience. What we need to do is that we need to, by faith, claim the power of God, by faith, claim the righteousness of Christ, by faith, claim his merits on our behalf. And when we do that, by faith, we will experience everything that comes where Jesus says, my burden is easy, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is what Christ promises us today. And he wants us to experience this. Do you want to experience this? If that is your desire right now, I'd like to ask that you please pray with me right now. And let's ask that the Lord can do that work in our lives. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you've sent your son Jesus to to be our all in all, to provide everything that is necessary for us to, to live not just in our, in our physical life, but also in our spiritual life. Lord, we know that we are desperately dependent upon you. There's nothing that we in and of ourselves can do or not, none of our merits can attain anything. We need to rely upon you. And by faith, oh Lord, we want to exercise that faith right now to, to grasp hold of the promise of this wonderful gift the righteousness of Christ. We pray that you'll please work in and through us. We pray that the power of God will rest upon each and every person tuning in today. We pray that the, the merits of Christ can be realized in his beauty and in his glory so that we will not look to self, we will not depend on self, but we will give praise to the one who is worthy, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus and for what he does for us and what he's done for us and what he continues to do for us. Lord, we pray for this to be our experience. We pray that the righteousness of Christ can be appropriated and activated in our lives. And Lord, we want this to be our experience because we love you and we want to be drawn closer to you. We want to be called your children. And we claim all that is offered to us through Jesus. And we thank you and praise you for this tremendous gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org